What you are listening to was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. Christian Behavior Part 2 Duties of the Master of a Family If thou have under thee a family, then thou art to consider the several relations thou standest under, and art to know that thou in each of them hast a work to do for God, and that he expecteth thy faithful deportment under every one of them as in general, duty to the family in general. He that is the master of a family, he hath, as under that relation, a work to do for God, to wit the right governing of his own family. And his work is twofold. First, touching the spiritual state thereof, Second, touching the outward state thereof. First, as touching the spiritual state of his family, he ought to be very diligent and circumspect, doing his utmost endeavor both to increase faith where it is begun and to begin it where it is not. Wherefore, to this end, he ought diligently and frequently to lay before his household such things of God out of his word as are suitable for each particular. And let no man question his rule in the word of God for such a practice. For if the thing itself were but of good report and a thing tending to civil honesty, it is within the compass and bounds even of nature itself and ought to be done much more things of a higher nature. Besides, the apostle exhorts us to whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, and of good report, to think of them, that is, to be mindful to do them. But to be conversant in this godly exercise in our family is very worthy of praise, and doth much become all Christians. This is one of the things for which God so highly commended his servant Abraham and that with which his heart was so much affected. I know Abraham, saith God, I know him to be a good man in very deed, for he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. This was a thing also which good Joshua designed should be his practice as long as he had a breathing time in this world. As for me, saith he, I and my household, we will serve the Lord. Further, we find also in the New Testament that they are looked upon as Christians of an inferior rank that have not a due regard to this duty. Yea, so inferior as not fit to be chosen to any office in the church of God. A bishop or pastor must be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The deacon also, saith he, must be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. Mark a little. The apostle seems to lay down thus much. 
that a man that governs his family well hath one qualification belonging to a pastor or deacon in the house of God. For he that knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Which thing considered, it giveth us light into the work of the master of a family, touching the governing of his house. 1. A pastor must be sound and uncorrupt in his doctrine, and indeed so must the master of a family. 2. A pastor should be apt to teach, to reprove, and to exhort, and so should the master of a family. 3. A pastor must himself be exemplary in faith and holiness, and so also should the master of a family. I, saith David, will behave myself in a perfect way. I will walk in or before my house with a perfect heart. 4. The pastor is for getting the church together, and when they are so come together, then to pray among them and to preach unto them. This is also commendable in Christian masters of families. Objection. But my family is ungodly and unruly, touching all that is good. What shall I do? Answer. 1. Though this be true, yet thou must rule them, and not they thee. Thou art set over them of God, and thou art to use the authority which God hath given thee, both to rebuke their vice and to show them the evil of their rebelling against the Lord. This did Eli, though not enough, and thus did David. Also thou must tell them how sad thy state was when thou wast in their condition, and so labor to recover them out of the snare of the devil. 2. Thou oughtest also to labor to draw them forth to God's public worship, if peradventure God may convert their souls. Saith Jacob to his household, and to all that were about him, let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress. Hannah would carry Samuel to Shiloh, that he might abide with God forever. Indeed, a soul rightly touched will labor to draw not only their families, but a whole city after Jesus Christ. 3. If they are obstinate and will not go forth with thee, then do thou get godly and sound men to thy house, and there let the word of God be preached when thou hast, as Cornelius, gathered thy family and friends together. You know that the jailer, Lydia, Crispus, Gaius, Stephanus, and others had not only themselves, but their families made gracious by the word preached, and that some of them, if not all, by the word preached in their houses. And this, for aught I know, might be one reason among many why the apostles taught in their day, not only publicly, but from house to house, I say that they might, if possible, bring in those in some family which yet remained unconverted and in their sins. For some, you know how usual it was in the day of Christ to invite him to their houses if they had any afflicted that either would not or could not come unto him. 
If this be the way with those that have outward diseases in their families, how much more than where there are souls that have need of Christ to save them from death and eternal damnation? 4. Take heed that thou do not neglect family duties among them thyself, as reading the word and prayer. If thou hast one in thy family that is gracious, take encouragement. Nay, if thou art alone, yet know that thou hast both liberty to go to God through Christ, and also art at that time in a capacity of having the universal church join with thee for the whole number of those that shall be saved. 5. Take heed that thou suffer not any ungodly profane, or heretical books, or discourse in thy house. Evil communications corrupt good manners. I mean such profane or heretical books, etc., as either tend to provoke to looseness of life, or such as do oppose the fundamentals of the gospel. I know that Christians must be allowed their liberty as to things indifferent, but for those things that strike either at faith or holiness. They ought to be abandoned by all Christians, and especially by the pastors of churches and masters of families, which practice was figured out by Jacob's commanding his house and all that was with him to put away the strange gods from among them and to change their garments. All those in the Acts set a good example for this who took their curious books and burned them before all men, though they were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. The neglect of this fourth particular hath occasioned ruin in many families, both among children and servants. It is easier for vain talkers and their deceivable works to subvert whole households than many are aware of. Thus much touching the spiritual state of thy household, and now to its outward. Second, touching the outward state of thy family, thou art to consider these three things. One, that it lieth upon thee to care for them, that they have a convenient livelihood. If any man provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. But mark, when the word saith, Thou art to provide for thy house, it giveth thee no license to distracting carefulness. Neither doth it allow thee to strive, to grasp the world in thy heart, or coffers, nor to take care for years or days to come, but so to provide for them, that they may have food and raiment. And if either they or thou be not content with that, you launch out beyond the rule of God. This is to labor that you may have wherewith to maintain good works for necessary uses. And never object that unless you reach farther, it will never do. For that is but unbelief. The word saith that God feedeth ravens, careth for sparrows, and clotheth the grass, in which three to feed, clothe, and care for is as much as heart can wish. 2. Therefore, though thou shouldest provide for thy family, yet let all thy labor be mixed with moderation. Let your moderation be known unto all men. 
Take heed of driving so hard after this world as to hinder thyself and family from those duties towards God, which thou art by grace obliged to, as private prayer, reading the scriptures, and Christian conference. It is a base thing for men so to spend themselves and families after this world, as that they disengage their heart to God's worship. Christians, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Many Christians live and do in this world as if religion were but a by-business, and this world the one thing necessary. When indeed all the things of this world are but things by the by, and religion only the one thing needful. 3. If thou wouldst be such a master of a family as becomes thee, thou must see that there be that Christian harmony among those under thee, as becomes that house where one ruleth that feareth God. 1. Thou must look that thy children and servants be under subjection to the word of God. For though it is of God only to rule the heart, yet he expecteth that thou shouldest rule their outward man which if thou dost not, he may in a short time cut off all they stock, even every male. See therefore that thou keep them temperate in all things, in apparel, in language, that they be not gluttons nor drunkards, not suffering either thy children vainly to domineer over thy servants, nor they again to carry themselves foolishly towards each other. 2. Learn to distinguish between that injury that in thy family is done to thee and that which is done to God. And though thou oughtest to be very zealous for the Lord and to bear nothing that is open transgression to him, yet here will be thy wisdom to pass by personal injuries and to bury them in oblivion. Love covereth a multitude of sins. Be not then like those that will rage and stare like madmen when they are injured, and yet either laugh or at least not soberly rebuke and warn when God is dishonored. Rule thy own house well, having thy children with others in thy family in subjection with all gravity. Solomon was so excellent sometimes this way that he made the eyes of his beholders to dazzle. But to break off from this general and to come to particulars. Duty in relation to the wife, hast thou a wife? Thou must consider how thou oughtest to behave thyself under that relation. And to do this aright, thou must consider the condition of thy wife, whether she be one that indeed believeth or not. First, if she believeth, then one. Thou art engaged to bless God for her. For her price is far above rubies, and she is the gift of God unto thee, and is for thy adorning and glory. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. 2. Thou oughtest to love her under a double consideration. 1. As she is thy flesh and thy bone. 
for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Two, as she is together with thee, an heir of the grace of life. This, I say, should engage thee to love her with Christian love, to love her as believing you both are dearly beloved of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and as those that must be together with him in eternal happiness. Three, thou oughtest so to carry thyself to and before her, as doth Christ to and before his church, as saith the apostle. So ought men to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When husbands behave themselves like husbands indeed, then will they be not only husbands, but such an ordinance of God to the wife as will preach to her the carriage of Christ to his spouse. There is a sweet scent wrapped up in the relations of husbands and wives that believe. The wife, I say, signifying the church, and the husband the head and savior thereof, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. This is one of God's chief ends in instituting marriage, that Christ and his church under a figure might be wherever there is a couple that believe through grace. Wherefore, that husband that carrieth it undiscreetly towards his wife, he doth not only behave himself contrary to the rule, but also maketh his wife lose the benefit of such an ordinance, and crosseth the mystery of his relation. Therefore I say, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Christ laid out his life for his church, covereth her infirmities, communicates to her his wisdom, protecteth her, his wisdom protecteth her, and helpeth her in her employments in this world, and so ought men to do for their wives. Solomon and Pharaoh's daughter had the art of thus doing, as you may see in the book of Canticles. Wherefore, bear with their weaknesses, help their infirmities, and honor them as the weaker vessels, and as being of a frailer constitution. In a word, be such a husband to thy believing wife, that she may say, God hath not only given me a husband, but such a husband as preacheth to me every day the carriage of Christ to his church. Second, if thy wife be unbelieving or carnal, then thou hast also a duty lying before thee, which thou art engaged to perform under a double engagement. One, for that she lieth liable every moment to eternal damnation. Two, that she is thy wife that is in this evil case. Oh, how little sense of the worth of souls is there in the heart of some husbands, as is manifest by their unchristian carriage to and before their wives. Now to qualify thee for a carriage suitable, one. Labor seriously after a sense of her miserable state, that thy bowels may yearn towards her soul. Two, 
Beware that she take no occasion from any unseemly carriage of thine to proceed in evil. And here thou hast need to double thy diligence. For she lieth in thy bosom, and therefore is capable of espying the least miscarriage in thee. 3. If she behave herself unseemly and unruly, as she is subject to do, being Christless and graceless, then labor thou to overcome her evil with thy goodness, her forwardness with thy patience and meekness. It is a shame for thee, who hast another principle, to do as she. 4. Take fit opportunities to convince her. Observe her disposition, and when she is most likely to bear, then speak to her very heart. 5. When thou speakest, speak to purpose. It is no matter for many words, provided they be pertinent. Job, in a few words, answers his wife and takes her off from her foolish talking. Thou speakest, saith he, as one of the foolish women. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Six. Let all be done without rancor, or the least appearance of anger. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Duty of parents to children. If thou art a parent, a father, or a mother, then thou art to consider thy calling under this relation. Thy children have souls, and they must be begotten of God as well as of thee, or they perish. And know also that unless thou be very circumspect in thy behavior to and before them, they may perish through thee, the thoughts of which should provoke thee, both to instruct and also to correct them. First to instruct them as the scripture saith, and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And to do this diligently when thou sittest in thine house, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, now to do this to purpose. One, do it in terms and words easy to be understood. Affect not high expressions, they will drown your children. Thus God spake to his children and Paul to his. Two, take heed of filling their heads with whimsies and unprofitable notions, for this will sooner learn them to be malapert and proud than sober and humble. Open, therefore, to them the state of man by nature. Discourse with them of sin, of death and hell, of a crucified Savior and the promise of life through faith. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. 3. There must be much gentleness and patience in all thy instructions, lest they be discouraged. And 4. Labor to convince them by a conversation answerable that the things of which thou instructest them are not fables, but realities. Yea, and realities so far above what can be here enjoyed, that all things, were they a thousand times better than they are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory and worthiness of these things. Isaac was so holy before his children that when Jacob remembered God, 
he remembered that he was the fear of his father, Isaac. Oh, when children can think of their parents and bless God for that instruction and good they have received from them, this is not only profitable for children, but honorable and comfortable to parents. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Second, the duty of correction. One, see if fair words will win them from evil. This is God's way with his children. Two, let those words you speak to them in your reproof be both sober, few, and pertinent, adding always some suitable sentence of the scripture therewith. As if they lie, then such as, if they refuse to hear the word, such as, three, look to them that they be not companions with those that are rude and ungodly showing with soberness a continual dislike of their naughtiness, often crying out to them as God did of old unto his, oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. For let all this be mixed with such love, pity, and compunction of spirit, that if possible, they may be convinced you dislike not their persons, but their sins. This is God's way. Five, be often endeavoring to fasten on their consciences the day of their death and judgment to come. Thus also God deals with his. Six, if thou art driven to the rod, then strike advisedly in cool blood and soberly show them one, their fault. One, their fault. Two, how much it is against thy heart thus to deal with them. Three, and that what thou dost, thou dost in conscience to God and love to their souls. Four, and tell them that if fair means would have done, none of this severity should have been. This I have proved it will be a means to afflict their hearts as well as their bodies. And it being the way that God deals with his, it is the most likely to accomplish its end. 7. Follow all this with prayer to God for them and leave the issue to him. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Lastly, observe these cautions. 1. Take heed that the misdeeds for which thou correctest thy children be not learned them by thee. Many children learn that wickedness of their parents for which they beat and chastise them. 2. Take heed thou smile not upon them, to encourage them in small faults, lest that thy carriage to them be an encouragement to them to commit greater. 3. Take heed thou use not unsavory and unseemly words in thy chastising of them as railing, miscalling, and the like. This is devilish. For take heed thou do not use them to many chiding words and threatenings mixed with lightness and laughter. This will harden. Speak not much nor often, but pertinent to them with all gravity. Duties of masters to servants. Masters also have a work to do as they stand related to their servants. And first, if possibly they can, to get them that fear God. He that worketh deceit, 
Seth David shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Second, but if none at the present but unbelievers can be got to do thy labor, then, one, know that it is thy duty so to behave thyself to thy servant, that thy service may not only be for thy good, but for the good of thy servant, and that both in body and soul, wherefore deal with him as to admonition as with thy children given him the same bread of God thou givest to them. And who knows, but that if thou with spiritual delicates bringest up thy servant, but he may become thy spiritual son in the end. 2. Take heed thou do not turn thy servants into slaves by overcharging them in thy work through thy greediness. To make men serve with rigor is more like to Israel's enemies than Christian masters. 3. Take heed thou carry not thyself to thy servant, as he of whom it is said, he is such a man of Belial, that his servants could not speak to him. And the apostle bids you forbear to threaten them, because you also have a master in heaven. As who should say, your servants cannot be guilty of so many miscarriages against you, as you are guilty of against Christ. Wherefore do with, and to your servants, as you would have your master do with you. 4. Take heed that thou neither circumvent him at his coming into thy service, nor at his going out. Servants at their going into service may be beguiled two ways. One, by their masters lying unto them, saying, Their work is so small and so easy, when it is indeed, if not too burdensome, Yet far beyond what at first was said of it, this is beguiling of them. Two, the other way is, when masters greedily seek to wire, draw their servants to such wages as indeed is too little and inconsiderable for such work and labor. Both these the apostle opposeth, where he saith, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just just labor and just wages, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. As servants may be circumvented at their coming into their labor, so also they may be at their going out, which is done by masters that either change their wages, like heathenish Laban, or by keeping it back, like those against whom God will be a swift witness. 5. Take heed that thou make not a gain of thy place, because thou art gracious, or livest conveniently for the means of grace. Servants that are truly godly, they care not how cheap they serve their masters, provided they may get into godly families, or where they may be convenient for the word. But now if a master or mistress should take this opportunity to make a prey of their servants, this is abominable. This is making a gain of godliness and merchandise of the things of God and of the soul of thy brother. I have heard some poor servants say that in some carnal families they have had more liberty to God's things and more fairness of dealing than among professors. But this stinketh. And as Jacob said concerning the cruelty of his two sons, so may I say of such masters, they make religion stink before the inhabitants of the land. 
In a word, learn of the Lord Jesus to carry yourselves well to your servants, that your servants also may learn something of the kindness of Christ by your deportment to them. Servants are goers as well as comers. Take heed that thou give them no occasion to scandal the gospel when they are gone, for what they observed the unrighteously to do when they were with thee. Then masters carry it rightly toward their servants, when they labor both in word and life, to convince them that the things of God are the one thing necessary. That which servants are commanded to do, touching their fear, their singleness of heart, their doing what they do as to the Lord, and not to men. The master is commanded to do the same things unto them, the duty of wives. But passing the master of the family, I shall speak a word or two to those that are under him. And first to the wife. The wife is bound by the law to her husband, so long as her husband liveth. Wherefore she also hath her work and place in the family as well as the rest. Now there are these things considerable in the carriage of a wife toward her husband, which she ought conscientiously to observe. First, that she look upon him as her head and lord. The head of the woman is the man. And so Sarah called Abraham lord. Second, she should therefore be subject to him as is fit in the Lord. The apostle saith that the wife should submit herself to her husband as to the Lord. I told you before that if the husband doth walk towards his wife as becomes him, he will therein be such an ordinance of God to her, besides the relation of a husband that shall preach to her the carriage of Christ to his church. And now I say also that the wife, if she walk with her husband as becomes her, she shall preach the obedience of the church to her husband. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now for thy performing of this work, thou must first shun these evils. 1. The evil of a wandering and a gossiping spirit. This is evil in the church, and is evil also in a wife, who is the figure of a church. Christ loveth to have his spouse keep at home. That is, to be with him in the faith and practice of his things, not ranging and meddling with the things of Satan. No more should wives be given to wander and gossip abroad. You know that Proverbs 7 11 saith, she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Wives should be about their own husband's business at home. As the apostle saith, let them be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. And why? Because otherwise the word of God will be blasphemed. Two, take heed of an idle talking or brangling tongue. This also is odious, either in maids or wives, to be like parrots, not bridling their tongue. Whereas the wife should know, as I said before, that her husband is her Lord and is over her, as Christ is over the church. Do you think it is seemly for the church to parrot it against her husband? Is she not to be silent before him and to look to his laws rather than her own fictions? Why so? said the apostle, ought the wife to carry it towards her husband? 
Let the woman, saith Paul, learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. It is an unseemly thing to see a woman so much as once in all her lifetime to offer to overtop her husband. She ought in everything to be in subjection to him and to do all she doth as having her warrant, license, and authority from him. And indeed, here is her glory, even to be under him as the church is under Christ. Now she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. 3. Take heed of affecting immodest apparel or a wanton gait. This will be evil both abroad and at home. Abroad, it will not only give ill example, but also tend to tempt to lust and lasciviousness. And at home, it will give an offense to a godly husband and be cankering to ungodly children, etc. Wherefore, as saith the apostle, let women's apparel be modest, as becometh women professing godliness, with good works, not with broidered hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. And as it is said again, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. But yet, do not think that by the subjection I have here mentioned, that I do intend women should be their husbands' slaves. Women are their husbands' yoke fellows, their flesh and their bones. And he is not a man that hateth his own flesh, or that is bitter against it. Wherefore, let every man love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. The wife is master next her husband and is to rule all in his absence. Yea, in his presence she is to guide the house, to bring up the children, provided she so do it, as the adversary have no occasion to speak reproachfully, who can find a virtuous woman. For her price is far above rubies. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and guideth her affairs with discretion. Objection. But my husband is an unbeliever. What shall I do? Answer. If so, then what I have said before lieth upon thee with an engagement so much the stronger. For one, thy husband being in this condition, he will be watchful to take thy slips and infirmities, to throw them as dirt in the face of God and thy Savior. Two. He will be apt to make the worst of every one of thy words, carriages, and gestures. 3. And all this doth tend to the possessing his heart with more hardness, prejudice, and opposition to his own salvation. Wherefore, as Peter saith, ye wives be in subjection to your husbands, that 
If any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, thy husband's salvation or damnation lieth much in thy deportment and behavior before him. Wherefore, if there be in thee any fear of God or love to thy husband, seek by a carriage full of meekness, modesty, and holiness, and a humble behavior before him, to win him to the love of his own salvation. And by thus doing, how knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Objection. But my husband is not only an unbeliever, but one very froward, peevish, and testy, yea, so froward, etc., that I know not how to speak to him or behave myself before him. Answer. Indeed, there are some wives in great slavery by reason of their ungodly husbands, and as such should be pitied and prayed for. So they should be so much the more watchful and circumspect in all their ways. 1. Therefore be thou very faithful to him in all the things of this life. 2. Bear with patience his unruly and unconverted behavior. Thou art alive, he is dead. Thou art principled with grace, he with sin. Now then, seeing grace is stronger than sin, and virtue than vice, be not overcome with his vileness, but overcome that with thy virtues. It is a shame for those that are gracious to be as lavishing in their words, etc., etc., as those that are graceless. They that are slow to wrath are of great understanding, but they that are hasty of spirit exalteth folly. 3. Thy wisdom, therefore, if at any time thou hast a desire to speak to thy husband for his conviction concerning anything, either good or evil, it is to observe convenient times and seasons. There is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Now for the right timing, thy intentions. 1. Consider his disposition and take him when he is farthest off of those filthy passions that are thy afflictions, that are thy afflictions. Abigail would not speak a word to her churlish husband till his wine was gone from him, and he in a sober temper. The want of this observation is the cause why so much is spoken and so little affected. 2. Take him at those times when he hath his heart taken with thee, and when he showeth tokens of love and delight in thee. Thus did Esther with the king her husband and prevailed. 3. Observe when convictions seize his conscience, and then follow them with sound and grave sayings of the scriptures. Somewhat like to this dealt Manoah's wife with her husband. Yet then, ah, let thy words be few. B. And none of them savoring of a lording it over him. But speak thou still as to thy head and lord by way of entreaty and beseeching. Uh, see, and that in such a spirit of sympathy and bowels of affection, after his good, that the manner of thy speech and behavior in speaking may be to him an argument that thou speakest in love 
as being sensible of his misery and inflamed in thy soul with desire after his conversion? D. And follow thy words and behavior with prayers to God for his soul. E. Still keeping thyself in a holy, chaste, and modest behavior before him. Objection. But my husband is a sot, a fool, and one that hath not wit enough to follow his outward employment in the world. Answer. 1. Though all this be true, yet thou must know he is thy head, thy Lord, and thy husband. 2. Therefore thou must take heed of desiring to usurp authority over him. He was not made for thee, that is, for thee to have dominion over him, but to be thy husband, and to rule over thee. 3. Wherefore, though in truth thou mayest have more discretion than he, yet thou oughtest to know that thou, with all that is thine, is to be used as under thy husband. Even everything. Take heed, therefore, that what thou dost goes not in thy name, but his, not to thy exaltation, but his, carrying all things so by thy dexterity and prudence, that not one of thy husband's weaknesses be discovered to others by thee. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. For then, as the wise man saith, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. 4. Therefore act and do still, as being under the power and authority of thy husband, now touching thy carriage to thy children and servants. Thou art a parent and a mistress, and so thou oughtest to demean thyself. And besides, seeing the believing woman is a figure of the church, she ought, as the church, to nourish and instruct her children and servants as the church, that she may answer in that particular also. And truly, the wife being always at home, she hath great advantage that way. Wherefore do it, and the Lord prosper your proceeding.